0: Well, hello, and welcome to the Chris Howe Foundation's seventh annual Know Your Status event. This is uh, an observ- observance of National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day. We have been doing this for seven years now, as I've just stated, but uh, it's uh, the National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day has been in existence for 23 years. Uh, February 7th of each year is observed as National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day, and it's a time to uh, remind us of the fact that even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, we're still de- dealing with an epidemic that is, of course, affecting our community uh, in significant ways So, we're going to spend some time over the next few moments talking about that. Uh, And we're not going to just talk about HIV. We're going to talk about all STDs that are affecting our community. And I've got some experts on the line with us to talk about that today as well. So, you tuned in at the right moment. And I would encourage you to maybe even share this with someone, maybe share it on your timeline uh, so someone can take advantage of this information. Because, again, uh, the information that we will unpack today will, in fact, be uh, life saving and life changing information. So, if you will please do that for me, I'd greatly appreciate it. So, now let me introduce the guest. Joining me today is Jessica Glaspie. She's an author and HIV advocate. Kelly Allen Gray is the executive director of AIDS Outreach. And also with us today is Lynetta Wilson. She's the Ending the HIV Epidemic Coordinator at Tarrant County Public Health. And I'm excited to have each of them on the line with us. Ladies, welcome to the Chris Howe Foundation's seventh annual Know Your Status event. Don't seem so excited. As we get into this discussion, uh, let's do it. Uh, let's uh, each of you take maybe about 30 to 60 seconds or so and talk about how you got involved with this particular work. And then, we'll, of course, we'll unpack that again more as we go. But, maybe take about the first 30 or 60 seconds or so and talk about how you got involved. And, Jessica, we'll start with you. Chris. Hi,
1: everyone. Uh, my name is Jessica Glassby, as Chris stated. I am an author of Life, Love, and HIV, a memoir and also an HIV advocate. Um, I tested positive for HIV almost 13 years ago. I was 22. Um, And what got me into the work is that um, I have a unique story. I won't spoil it right now. Um, But my story was different um, in comparison to other people that I met that were living with HIV and AIDS. Um, So I felt the need to put my story out there so that I can support those those that were more like myself.
0: All right. And thank you so much for being with us. So now Kelly Ellen Gray.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And so I come to this work very new. I am the uh, executive director of AIDS Outreach Center, and I have actually been there since July. However, I my uh, late sister-in-law was HIV positive. And so as a family member, we supported her in all of her endeavors uh, as she made this journey uh, from 1995 uh, up to 2018 when she passed. So that's how I come to this.
0: OK. All right. And Lynetta Wilson will now come to you.
3: Yeah, so my story is very similar to Kelly. I got involved in this work after um, a close family member was living with HIV and just really just committed my life to working towards uh, finding an end to this epidemic and really just serving uh, others who are living with HIV like him.
0: All right. Well, good deal. I guess, again, we're all brought to this uh, for I guess similar reasons. Uh, Again, uh, the Chris Howell Foundation really was birthed out of a need to really continue to raise awareness and bring education around HIV. I, too, had my brother who uh, passed away due to complications of HIV and AIDS at 33 years of age in 2006. So uh, once we got somewhat of a platform, we thought if we're going to do anything in the community, that would be the thing, because at the time it was uh, continued to be an epidemic and uh, Dallas-Fort Worth specifically was leading the state and new HIV infection rates. So that's where we jumped into the fight to uh, again, to continue to raise awareness regarding that. And of course, since expanded our services to overall health, wellness, and financial literacy. But again, this is a cornerstone for us. So again, our seventh annual Know Your Status event. So today we will do a lot of unpacking of HIV and its continued impact on the community. We'll also talk about other STIs, chlamydia, gonorrhea as well, because again, while we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, folks are wearing masks, but not wearing condoms. So we'll also address that as well. Ladies, as we get into the discussion, I guess with the current hookup culture being so prevalent, how would you advise young ladies to address safety and precautions uh, when uh, taking on new partners, if you will? And uh, either one of you want to start with that.
3: I think when we talk about hookup culture and the, the time of internet dating and um, having access to, to multiple sex partners and, and choosing to engage... I would say the most important important part is just having the conversation, talking to your partners, uh, being open about those things, uh, knowing how to protect yourselves. Uh, maybe a male partner doesn't want to wear a condom, uh, just having the autonomy to use a female condom and knowing that there are options and places where you can get those. And then, of course, um, getting tested and having those conversations with your partner, too. Um, and the folks that you're engaging with. So I, I think my advice to those who are uh, participating and engaging in the fun of of um, the hookup culture is just making sure that you're talking about it and doing it safely.
0: All right. Well, Anetta comes out the gate swinging, Kelly. Uh, Kelly, she unpacked a number of things there that we, we we definitely want to get into. First and foremost, she talked about having the conversation, and then she uh, made uh, she talked about the female condom, many of which some. Folks listening today may have never even heard of. So I will ask you, which one of those would you want to unpack first? The conversation or the female condom?
2: Well, let me say this. Both of them are important. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Uh, but you you definitely have to have the conversation. And you can't just have the conversation. You have to have an honest conversation. And I think that's the biggest part that we are seeing is that there are people who talk about, you know, um, have you ever had an STD? Or are you, you know, do you have herpes? Do you have chlamydia? No one ever asked the question, are you HIV positive? You know, have you ever been tested for HIV and then when you do ask that question, nine times out of 10, many people say no, uh, but you have to have an honest conversation. Uh, and, and it's no different when you're talking about birth control, uh, female condoms are no different than when you take a birth control pill. You, it is the same, it is the exact same thing. You are protecting yourself. You're protecting yourself from pregnancy when you're taking that pill. But when you, you know, put on this female condom, Or, you know, you're protecting yourself from any other STI, whether it's HIV or, you know, it runs the gambit these days. But you have to be the person in control of your health. You cannot put your health in the hands of someone else and hope that they take care of it like you do. You just can't do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Again, and we see the female condom as a sense of empowerment, again, because you get the chance to, uh, again, like you, like Kelly just stated, you keep control of your health and you can control that situation. Um, you know, the female condom is one that can be placed in up to hours before engaging in intercourse. So again, it's not like something you get in the heat of the moment and then you decide, oh, wait a minute, we have to uh, use protection. That protection can already be there if you feel like something is going to uh, happen in that evening. So certainly do the due diligence, get the information, contact Tarrant County Public Health and others uh, to to get more information regarding the female condom and resources on how you can obtain that or where you can get it from in your local community. So Jessica, I want to come to you. Uh, What have you learned in your personal journey uh, with HIV?
1: That sometimes those conversations are not honest conversations. Um, I contracted HIV from someone that was born with it. I did ask those questions. Um, we had been in a relationship for quite some time. Um, so obviously there was trust that was built between him and I, um, yet and still he was dishonest. Um, I took his word versus, um, you know, seeing proof that he actually had an HIV test done or STD, STI panels, things like that. Um, so we can go back to the condoms and the conversations because both are very important. Um, a couple years ago, I held, um. I question a QA and a session and I handed out kits. Um, I got these pencil pouches. I put condoms in there. I put um, female uh, wipes in there. I put a razor in there, a hair tie, just kind of like a, it was almost like a kit for a one night stand, to be honest, right? We're in a hookup culture, right? So it was in a cute little pencil bag, so it wasn't, like, super embarrassing to pull out if you're about to get in a situation or whatever. So I think it's just important to have the resources, to have access to the information, but also to, to take on the responsibility of protecting yourself, because you can't always expect people to protect you.
0: Yeah. You know, you raise a very good point that I want to talk about a little bit more because you talk about the fact that, again, this was not a one night stand. This was someone that you had a uh, committed relation to to uh, gain the trust anyway uh, over a period of time. uh, But you still contracted HIV. Talk about, uh, again, the importance of uh, understanding that there is no certain look. I mean, we have to throw out all of the uh, stereotypes that we come to mind when we talk about someone with HIV uh, and why it's important to throw all those out to still protect yourself.
1: That's my favorite part. So yes, um, let's erase the stigma, right? Because there's so much stigma behind HIV and AIDS that it looks a certain way that it affects a certain community. It does not look a certain way. And it does not affect a certain community. It affects people that engage in the behavior to where you can contract HIV, right? So we need to make sure that that's out there. Um, I can understand the challenge behind that, right? Because a lot of times the people that you see heading, spearheading these organizations, the people that you see on the commercials for the medications for HIV and AIDS, you know, they represent a particular community. So it makes it very challenging for some people that cannot relate. Um, But again, you know, it doesn't look a certain way. And certain people, certain types of people do not get HIV, you know repeat it again and again. If you engage in the activities that can cause you to contract HIV, you have the same chance of getting HIV as anybody else.
0: Wow. Thank you for that. Uh, Lynette, I want to come to you. When you have the title of ending the HIV epidemic in Tarrant County, uh, and we're in the middle of a a pandemic, uh, there would be those who say, why are we even talking about HIV when we still have Omicron and all these things that are surging right now? Why is HIV even still relevant at this point?
3: Yeah that's a really good question and it's hard in the midst of being the public health department and having a responsibility to keep our our community safe from COVID but we've got that same responsibility to, to HIV and ending this epidemic as well. Uh, the federal government announced this plan um, to do this and that now is the time we've got the biomedical resources and we've got um, the people and the places that we need them to be and that we just really need to focus on coordinating community to get to a point of really like figuring out what we need to do to end the HIV epidemic, um, and I think it really is—it's just a good balancing act of kind of just uh, doing a good job of uh, knowing our roles and knowing that we've got a team of amazing folks who are working so hard every day on the public health response to COVID. That we've got an amazing group, an amazing team that are also working um, towards reaching our goals to end the epidemic uh, in Tarrant County. Because, like you said, like covid is here and people are wearing masks but that doesn't mean that they're wearing condoms so we we've, we've got to just um, work harder dig deep in the trenches uh, and really just focus on on managing both
0: yeah, absolutely. And, and talking about being deep in the trenches, I mean, Kelly, uh, I want to come back to you. I mean, you have given your life to public service, uh, you know, prior to this position, you served as uh, city council and in, city in, in Fort Worth. Talk about, you know, this new role and what would be an accomplishment for you there at AIDS Outreach as you do your work?
2: So this is this I think. I tell everybody, Chris, I'm stumbling over my words. I tell everybody when I was an elected official, I really thought I was doing my dream job because my my sole purpose every single day was to get up and to make somebody's life better. And now I'm in this position where I don't have to focus on 250,000 people or almost a million people in the city of Fort Worth, I only have to focus on my clients, my people who walk through that door, my community in which I want to share this information that I can help end the stigma. Because one of the things that struck home to me the most is that African-American women, we are the newest, largest number of new cases that are coming out, and yet you don't hear about us. There's not a real space for us in this conversation. And so what would make my life better, what what that thing that says, oh my gosh, I know I am making a headway, is if I had a rush of women who looked like me who walked through my door on a daily basis to get tested, um, to tell their story, to recognize that there are women who look like them who are walking this walk, but there are women who look like them who want to embrace them. Whether we are HIV positive or not, we are here to lift them up. We are here to support them. We are here to provide them with every single resource that we have available to them and their families to help them live healthy whole lives. That is that is my new walk, and I am all for it every day, day in, day out. I have a staff of amazing people who have taken on um my outlook and, you know, we just, I think we all needed to find each other at the time that we found each other, to be able to uh, rip that Band-Aid off and talk about HIV in our community. And when I say our community, I'm literally talking about the African-American community because we don't do it. And when we do do it, we do it in a hushed tone. And if you know me, I am not hushed. I am loud, proud. And I'm all about it. You talking about bouty bouty, that's your girl, right? Here. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And we appreciate you so much for it, because, again, that's what it's going to take to really get us to, again, continue to pay attention. And for those women who, you know, need to get tested, those women who may find themselves testing positive to know that they have an advocate, to know that they have a safe space to go into to receive the treatment that they need, not just women, women and men, but particularly in this uh, National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day, Uh, we're again, 23 years in uh, of having this day, February 7th of every year, uh, where we take an opportunity to observe and raise awareness and increased education in the African-American community around HIV and AIDS because it continues to be an epidemic. Kelly, you talked about black women and I think we pulled a, uh, a graphic that showed uh, the number of new cases for as it re- relates to black women and heterosexual women. Uh, let me just uh, say that as well as 38 percent of new cases Uh, many times turned to be black women. Uh, On this particular case, it was 10,000 women. Out of 10,000 women, 38% of those women were black women. So again, when we talk about black women and the need for increased education, the need for increased testing, I want to now come back to you, Jessica, and talk about what it was like for you when you tested positive and you were able to go into a safe space and get involved and engaged in care uh, like you have done.
1: Um, You know, I first want to say that I tested positive um, in the Atlanta metropolitan area where HIV and AIDS was way more, um, it's way more prevalent. Um, So it wasn't such a stigma behind HIV and AIDS in that particular area. Um, You know, I used to feel like if I went, if I had gone into an ENT like I did in Atlanta somewhere else, I don't think they would have tested me for HIV. I think they would have said, I have a cold or flu or something along those lines. Um, so I was 22, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, I've lived most of my adult life with HIV, um, but living in the Atlanta metropolitan area, it, it made it a little easier. There was an abundance of resources. There was an abundance of, um, you know, people, that I could speak to that were living with HIV, but there was not an abundance of heterosexual black women. Um, that was my biggest struggle being 22. And the women that I did find living with HIV were long-term survivors. They had been living with HIV for 20 and 30 and 40 years. Um, so it was it was just kind of like, you know, it was hard because I'm like, well, They've been living with it long enough to be comfortable enough to talk about it in the public's eye. I just tested positive and I'm only 22, so I don't want to talk about it, you know, with anyone. And in the same breath, I can't find anyone that looks like me that I can relate to. And that makes it hard. That makes it even harder mentally and emotionally to take care of yourself when you can't relate to anyone.
0: I like that. I like that. Thank you so much for sharing. And again, if you're just joining us today, again, the Chris Howe Foundation's 7th Annual Know Your Status event, uh, where we're talking today about HIV and ending the epidemic, even in the middle of a pandemic, Uh, again, just raising the fact that while we are wearing masks, many times we're still not wearing condoms. So doing our part to increase education and raise awareness uh, so we can stop the new HIV infections that are taking place in both Dallas and Tarrant County. And for those of you who are watching from other areas, uh, again, it's not just restricted to Dallas and Tarrant County, as you know. so it's certainly in your area of the community as well. We certainly want to do what we can uh, to try and decrease numbers. So Lynette, I want to come back to you. You just heard Jessica speak about the importance of, you know, having that tribe when we talk about uh, black, and she said something else I wanted to talk about a moment as well. She mentioned the fact that maybe she had experienced some type of symptoms or something of that nature, which is what caused her to actually go into uh, the doctor's office. But I guess one of the things with HIV is many times there are not those symptoms, which thus increase the importance of testing just if you're sexually active. Is that correct?
3: Absolutely. Um, I was listening to some of the conversations that Jessica was talking about earlier um, when we were talking about condoms and communication. And one of the things that she struck me with was saying that she had trust. Like she was in a monogamous relationship and, um, and she still found herself uh, contracting HIV. And what I thought to, to add to that, and I think what fits here with the question you just asked, is normalizing testing like making that normal um, and I feel we don't sometimes do a good job with that right? it's such a stigma it's such a thing that we don't want to talk about um, we're all having sex but but nobody's talking about it um, we're not teaching our children sometimes um, how to do that safely when we are ready to engage in sexual behaviors. And I I think that normalizing testing would be another thing I would just add to the conversation when it comes to Black women specifically, like that it's okay to go in and get tested. That's important um, that we take care of the entire person. So when we go in for our annual physical, that we're not just checking, um, you know, but our blood pressure and our, our blood sugar and, and our cholesterol, but that we're also uh, empowered and informed and we're asking for that STI panel, that we're asking for that HIV test because like we've already mentioned, um, HIV affects anyone who's engaging in that behavior. So it, it doesn't look like a particular group of people, as, as long as you're having sex, there, there's that risk. So um, I would just say again, normalizing testing, Um, and really just educating folks uh, black folks specifically uh, to have those conversations with those providers um, and um, asking for those tests and and also to the providers that are out there that are listening that they need to be providing those services they need to be offering those things right so sometimes it's not just on us because I couldn't imagine going to the doctor at 22 years old and asking for anything I just you know if, if I had insurance at 22. Um, So just things like that, just just making sure that those things are accessible, that those services are visible and accessible in our community, that folks know where they can go to, to receive those tests.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for that. And I'm glad you stressed the fact that you have to ask for the test with your annual exams, because many times folks just assume you well, they're drawing blood, they're doing all these tests. So obviously they're checking me for all those things. But no, they're not. Uh, unless you specifically ask for those tests to be done, they will likely not be done. So you do, uh, to the point that she just made, you really do have to ask for those tests to be done. Uh, so as you're doing your annual exams, please do. Kelly, I want to come to you because I think many times, you know, folks just say, you know what, I don't want to know. And they don't want to know maybe because they don't want to deal with, quote unquote, the fallout if they do test positive, because the stigma that's associated uh, with having HIV folks think you're promiscuous. They think you're a drug user or, or, or whatever the case may be. And we all know that. I mean, that's not a chance. I mean, there's very little chance of that at all. It's just that, again, you engaged and you now contracted the virus. But let's talk about the stigma and what we need to do as a community to really fight against this stigma. So folks feel comfortable. And like uh, uh, Lynetta just talked about normalizing testing.
2: So I think the first thing that you have to do is you have to talk about it. You have to recognize. And, and Jessica said it very well. Um HIV, it doesn't have a look. You know, when you are positive, it does not have a look. It does not. Um, it affects you. It affects everyone, regardless of your race, your ethnicity, uh, your religion, um, you know, your sexuality. It it affects everybody. Your economic status. It just, it, it affects everybody. And I think in, in talking about Black people, because that's what we're talking about, For us, we, um, you know, we know bad things. This is just always my example. We know that Uncle Ray Ray is touching the kids. And instead of calling out Uncle Ray Ray, we just keep moving the kids out of Uncle Ray Ray's way versus addressing Uncle Ray Ray. And that's what we have to do with HIV. We We have to have the conversation head on. And I always tell this story uh, because it, it blow, it just literally blows me away. There was, there's, there's this minister and he called me and he wanted me, he was really concerned about PrEP and PrEP is, is the medicine that helps you to be virally suppressed. And so he, you know, he said, we have to tell young men, young men, we have to tell young men that, um, you know, when they take that prep medicine, it affects their heart. It affects their kidneys. It affects their liver. And you know, Kelly, you're you're helping you're helping kill young men. And he says this over and over and over. So I so I say, and let me say, I am a preacher's kid, so I, I'm trying very hard, you know, to say, "Hmm, pastor, you know, pastor." And so finally, I said, so let let me get this right. You want me to be concerned about the young man's liver, his kidney, or his heart because he's taking PrEP medicine. But you don't want me to be concerned about the fact that many times this young man is also supposedly in a monogamous relationship with this young woman. And because he's having a promiscuous lifestyle over here that he doesn't want anybody to know about, he is potentially, you know, subjecting her to being HIV positive. That's really what you want. You don't want me to talk about the HIV piece of it. You just want me to talk about his liver, his kidneys, and his heart. So, and we're not going to talk about women. We're only going to talk about young men. That that That's, that's our focus. And I think so if we're going to have this conversation and we're going to end the stigma, first of all, we have to understand, and Jessica has said it, and Lynetta has said it, it's not just a male disease. It doesn't just affect men. And it's not a gay disease. It's not a bisexual disease. It, is, it affects heterosexual women. It, it, it runs the gambit. And for us as African-Americans, we have to be willing to have the conversation. Because these very women, us, us women who are on this panel and and all across our county, we are the ladies in the churches who we show up, we're the mission women, we are the ushers, we are the women who come and pray, we are the women who cook the minister's food, we are the women who are prevalent in the church. And more than anything, we are the tithers. But you don't want to have a conversation about things that are protecting me, that affect me in a real way, because it makes you uncomfortable. Well, you know, we have to be uncomfortable having this conversation because our people are dying. Our people are being infected at a rate that is astronomical. And then I'm gonna throw this other thing out there, Chris, because we keep talking about HIV, but in case y'all didn't know, syphilis is on the rise. And syphilis is on the rise in our communities. I cannot begin to tell you the number of people who walk through our doors to get tested for syphilis. And it never would have dawned on me to even think about syphilis. But in this pandemic, syphilis is as prevalent As HIV, you, you know, you can have chlamydia you can have gonorrhea, you can have all of those things. But at the top of that list behind HIV and sometimes ahead of HIV is syphilis. But we're not having those conversations and we have to have those conversations. And for many of us who are, you know, faith based people, it has to start in the church. It has to start. But those are not conversations that we're comfortable in having. And we're going to have to get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations.
0: Absolutely, and I would hope that this uh, pastor at some point said will come to my church and talk about it. I I hope he opened up the doors of the church.
2: <laughs> he didn't. Oh, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Wishful thinking say, on my part. Other ministers, as I have had this, as I have had this conversation, and as I have shared that story, we have been in more churches these last three months than ever because they are understanding that um it's an attack it is an attack on our community it's an attack on our women on our men on our young boys because the number of, of boys 18 to 29 who are you know are die are newly diagnosed it those numbers are real those 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 are real numbers young women those numbers are real And if the church wants to really and truly do their mission, then this is a part of the mission. You have to be able to tell the story. Lanetta is saying, wow, but Lanetta, I'm a preacher's kid. And my dad did stuff that other preachers did not do. And so I stand firmly on that because that is that is the mission and the goal of the church is to take care of the people that they serve they're doing the lord's work let's do the lord's work
0: yeah yeah you have many and you know it's encouraging to hear that the last three months you have seen churches to really get involved uh, i think that's an encouraging sign we're seeing them get involved with COVID. you know what let's get involved with this virus as well uh i want to go back to what you said a moment ago as it relates to testing and lynette i'll lean on you for this one uh when folks come in to get tested Uh, Is syphilis now a regular part of your testing or do they have to request that uh, when when they come in and asking for an HIV test?
3: I think that would that would definitely be an agency by agency thing. We definitely do offer syphilis, um, especially for those that um, come in asking for it. And for those who are coming in for any um, type of testing, we we do offer all the, the entire gambit of an STI panel. Um, but just like Kelly said, we, we are seeing a lot of folks coming in requesting syphilis specifically. Uh, we also know that sometimes those um, syphilis and HIV do travel together. So we wanna make sure that folks that are testing positive for syphilis that we're offering them things like PrEP so that we can keep um, keep them negative so that we're not, we're not having them come back where they're reinfected with syphilis and maybe next time they have HIV also. Uh, so I think that was a really good point to, to add when Kelly uh, mentioned PrEP and mentioned that sometimes we see PrEP marketed towards a certain um, demographic of folks. And, you know, a lot of times it isn't Black Women specifically that are going into the offices asking for PrEP and PrEP saves lives. PrEP, PrEP is a medication um, for those who are at risk of having or of contracting HIV. It's uh, for people who are HIV negative, and it's it's a one pill, one a day regimen that folks can take to remain HIV negative. And I think sometimes Black people just aren't aware of that, um, and, and I think a lot of that is because it's not marketed towards us.
0: Okay. All right. And, and so, you and you talked about that, and you said it a little quick there. But in terms of prep, uh, again, if you are in a lifestyle that puts you at greater risk of contracting HIV, then you certainly want to get on a prep regimen, is what you're saying.
3: Absolutely. Uh, I feel like my personal thought is anyone who is engaging in sexual behavior should consider prep, um, because again, it's a one pill, one day regimen, similar to birth control that we're taking, so that we. Um, aren't contracting HIV. I think PrEP is a game changer in the biomedical advances that is going to help us uh, reach our uh, goal of ending the HIV epidemic. And I think it's one of those things that we don't talk about in Black communities. Yeah.
0: And I guess I also want to say now, again, while PrEP may decrease your chances of contracting HIV, it certainly does not prevent you from contracting other STIs. Is that correct?
3: Correct. So even though we're taking PrEP, we're still encouraging condom use. So we're not coming our clinics positive with syphilis or gonorrhea or chlamydia prep is exclusively to prevent the um, transmission of hiv
0: yeah so we don't start taking prep like vitamins and then think we could just go out and just party like a rock star no we don't do that not yet unfortunately no 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 not yet or never uh so now now that brings me to you jessica want to ask you and, and we talked about prep but are there any other resources that you wish were available to you that are available now that you wish were available to you when you were younger uh Yeah. Prep. (laughs) He said prep. (laughs) Um,
1: Prep was not a thing when I tested positive for HIV. Um, I am divorced, but when I was married, um, my ex-husband took prep. He took it every day. Um, He did not contract HIV. We do have a four-year-old son. Um, uh, I have three children. Uh, My oldest is 11, and my youngest is four and all three of my children are HIV negative due to me having an undetectable viral load throughout my HIV journey. Um, so it is important to, um, you know, make sure you're adhering to your medication. Uh, <laughs> I won't go off on that tangent because that's that's a whole nother conversation, right? Um, adherence is very important. Um, but I do wish that PrEP was available. I also wish that there was more mentors and more Black women um, that we're a part of these organizations that spearhead the HIV and AIDS awareness um, programs. I've I've been I've volunteered at many organizations, and almost always there is a gay man at the head of these organizations. And you know, it's 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 hard. It's hard for myself because you feel so alone. You feel like, um, okay, does this not affect people like me? Like you know, like where did I? You know, where did I miss this? So uh, it's important to have people that look like you. It's important to have people available that that you can relate to, because otherwise you're discouraged and it will prevent you from continuing in care. You'll seek care from your first appointment because that's what you're supposed to do, but then continuing in care is challenging because every time that you go and see someone or every time that you see a commercial, it's somebody that you can't absolutely can't relate to. Hmm
0: couple of things you said there, and it makes me want it. As as first of all, when you say look like you and, and, and looking at you, what's your reaction? Uh, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here and assume that you've heard it a number of times. You don't look like you have HIV.
1: Hear that all the time. <laughs> um, That's because of the expectation that HIV, number one, is a gay disease. Um, That is a huge, it, it irks my soul. I'm telling you. It just like, and I I said this in my book. Um, So as you know, I wrote a memoir. I started journaling in 2007, which was before I had HIV. I contracted HIV in 2009. I can literally read my journals and see how my life changed from before I had HIV to right now. Um, So I decided to write a book because, um, you know, I wanted other people to be able to relate and know that they were not in it alone. Um, But yeah, people expect you to be... I remember people saying, Oh, that's why you're so small. I'm 98 pounds with with three kids. I've been 98 pounds probably since high school. It's not because I have HIV, it's because I've just always been small, right? Yeah. They expect you to look sick. They expect you to, you know, to to be gay. They expect you to have slept with a gay man. And it's it's insane. I was in a monogamous relationship. The person that gave me HIV was not a gay black man. He was very much straight. Um, unfortunately, he was born with it due to having parents that were had a, um, drug use. His parents contracted it using IV, uh, I'm sorry, needles. So it's, you know, we have to erase that stigma. We have to. And I just feel like a lot of times I am just one person trying to change the narrative of the whole world. So it can be overwhelming, Um, but that's why I'm here. That's why I tell my story um, because it has to start somewhere and I figure why not start with me, so...
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story again. I think you're doing a great job and, uh, just being here today. I think you're certainly going to help to open the eyes of a lot of people. And, uh, again, to help erase the stigma that's associated with it. Because again, like you said, so many times we wrongfully think that it is a gay man's disease. Uh, that's not the case at all. So again, uh, doing our part to help educate our community. If you're just tuning in with us, uh, again, it's the Chris Howe Foundation's seventh annual Know Your Status event in observance of this day, uh, National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day. And it's 23rd, uh, annual observance, uh, February 7th of every year, many times, uh, national black HIV awareness day is overshadowed by the super bowl. Thankfully this year it's uh, a week later, so a week ahead of the super bowl. So it's not being overshadowed by the super bowl, uh, this year. So, uh, Kelly, I want to come back to you. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We talked about that. We talked about encouraging folks to come in to get tested. Many folks may feel like, you know, wow, if I was going to find that I was I was positive. Would that restrict my services that I could receive and getting into treatment? Things of that nature would being in the middle of a pandemic. Talk about how you guys are continuing service even throughout the pandemic for those who, again, recently came into your office and found out they're positive.
2: So give me one second because I live on the TRE line and the TRE is passing by. So you're not going to be able to hear me. How about
0: that? Okay, (laughs) not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. Uh, Again, we're talking today with uh, Kelly Allen Gray. She's the executive director of AIDS Outreach. We're also talking with uh, Jessica Glassby. She's an HIV advocate and author. So want to make sure we give you the title of her book after a while as well. And also Lynetta Wilson, who's the ending HIV AIDS epidemic uh, in Tarrant County for Tarrant County Public Health. So we're thankful to have each of them with us today as they share uh, their experience to again try and end the HIV epidemic in our community. All right, uh, Kelly, did that give us enough time for that uh, TRE bus or train You're or whatever perfect. it is
3: passing by?
2: You're absolutely perfect. So we are a full service clinic and we actually office right next door to HF, which is AIDS Health Foundation, And so they do medical appoint. They do the medical appointments. They have the pharmacy. We, however, we do testing. We do uh, case management. We do. We have a dental clinic. We do mental health counseling. We have a nutrition center. uh, We have a trans wellness center because we have many clients who uh, are are trans. Um, And or non-binary. So, I mean, we do really the gambit. You don't, you walk through our door and you never have to walk out the door to go next door. There's literally a door between us that that we share. So, I mean, you get everything there. We are a one-stop shop. If you don't have insurance, that's okay because we have grant funding. That allows us to still help you um, get in care, stay in care, um, and so that doesn't even become your issue. If you have uh, insurance, then we'll take your insurance. But nine times out of ten, you know, we just want you to walk through the door, and and then we'll take it. We'll take it from there. We will hold your hand every single step of the way. And uh, because we, we know how important it is uh, for any one of us who has any type of illness uh, to be in care and to have good treatment. And, and the other thing that is absolutely important when, when we're talking about this is we're Vegas. I mean, literally we are Vegas. When you come through that door, if we know you outside of that door, we may as well not know you because all you are to us is hello ma'am hello sir how may we help you your business stays in that building and the best way to lose your job is to talk somebody's business because you people have to know that that there's you know for many people it is their secret but their secret is safe and whether it is your secret or whether you're open about it or not you don't want to go to the doctor, and then all of your stuff is all across town. So we, it it is a safe place, and we try uh, to provide you with every single thing it is that you need, so that when you come, um, you don't you don't leave empty-handed, but you have every service that is there available to you. Now we do have the you have the option to go anywhere in Tarrant County. To, pre- to receive services that you want to. However, I would prefer you come through the doors of ALC because I know what's going to happen and I know how you are going to be treated. And I want everyone to have the opportunity to live healthy whole lives. And I just know that everything, every service that we have there um, and our team is is there literally to make sure that you get the best treatment that you possibly can. All
0: right. I, I, I like the term uh, that you're Vegas. It took me a minute to catch on. I mean, you know, I, I, I guess. I had a blonde moment. Uh, No offense to blondes, but (laughs) it took me a moment to catch on. You're simply saying that everything that goes on within those walls stays within those walls. But it took me a minute to catch on. Uh, Lynette, I want to now come to you because you guys also provide service there. And Kelly made a very good point when it talks about trust. And when we talk about black women being really underserved in this space, Uh, first of all, addressing the elephant in the room, let's talk about the distrust that we have as a community with the healthcare system in general, and why and how we can really work to overcome that, uh, to make your job easier there at Tarrant County Public Health.
3: Wow, that's that's a big one, right? When we talk about things like that, medical mistrust, specifically in the black community and communities of color, that just goes back generations. And I think for us, it's just knowing that, right? Knowing that maybe um, our clinic isn't the best fit for some folks and being okay with that and being able to connect them to places like AOC and AHF and uh, Can Community Health and JPS and all the other stakeholders and partners that we work with within the HIV arena. So I think our focus is is really just that when we talk about building trust. So maybe someone comes to the health department and they get tested um, and they live in Arlington. So, and, and maybe transportation's an issue, right? Uh, so so maybe coming to the health department to continue treatment isn't the best fit. Uh, maybe we can link you with another clinic that's there. Or maybe someone comes in and they get tested and, and they test positive and their partner is already receiving services at another agency. Well, maybe that's a better fit. So our role really is just, we're really just committed with connecting community and connect, connecting folks where they need to be. Uh, we definitely strive to provide great service. And I think we do a really good job of doing that. But really, when it comes to trust, we want to make sure that we're building a rapport with the patients that we're serving and that our role really is to just navigate them to where they're going to receive the best service for them.
0: All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, Jessica, I want to come back to you. What advice would you give to any woman or man, for that matter, who may have just recently tested positive for HIV?
1: I am going to say this as my own, obviously, personal opinion. Um, Seek therapy. And it may not be for everybody. Um, There's a stigma around that, too. Again, another conversation for another day. Um, When I was 22, I was like, I don't want to go to therapy. These people don't think I'm crazy. You know, but when I finally got into therapy, um, I had been positive almost seven years. And I, always, I said in my book too um, that I was a prisoner of my own mind for a very long time, because uh, it's hard to it's hard to keep that secret, right? Um, and I just wish that I was in a better space mentally to handle what I was going through at the time, especially not being able to relate to anyone that had HIV that was public about their status at the time when i started advocating um, at the end of 2015 i cannot begin to tell you how many people on my instagram on my twitter on my facebook sent me private messages to say i am in that situation too and i don't know what to do or thank you so much for telling your story i thought i was the only one and these are straight men and straight women because you just don't see it, um, you know? So going back, that that is the advice that I would give, is to yes, get into care, of course get into care, but also part of your care is taking care of your mental health too. It's easy to get into care, it's hard to stay into care once you start battling depression and anxiety like I do. It's hard to, it's hard to get up out the bed some days, it's hard to really take care of yourself if you're not taking care of your
0: mental health first. Yeah, oh, good stuff, good stuff. So I guess I wanna ask you, when you say therapy and counseling, is that a need, such a need because of the fact, well, first of all, let's say the fact that again, HIV is not necessarily a death sentence today, thankfully with all of the resources that are available. So when you contracted in 2009, maybe a lot of the resources that weren't available, uh, that are available now were not available then. Uh, so certainly it may be a different mindset, but is it also, uh, a need for therapy because of the fact that, again, stigma associated with it. So you feel like you have to go this walk alone. I'm trying to get an understanding of why that would be top advice.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, feeling like you're walking this this thing alone. Um, you know, feeling out of sorts, just kind of feeling out of place. Uh, you feel like you don't belong. Dating is hard, right? <laughs> it's certain things that just become challenging. Once you contract HIV, it is hard to have those conversations. If you have children, you have a hard time having those conversations with their children in a way that they can understand. Uh, I didn't have any children when I contracted HIV, and now I have three, um, so I still have to have those conversations with with my children. Um, so yes, it it is, um, you know, it is a part of trying to be proactive and dealing with things that may come after. Your diagnosis.
0: Hmm. Oh, I like Lynette, I saw you uh, nod your head a moment ago. Uh, what did you chime in?
3: Just so brought me back to so prior to this role, I was a case manager and I worked specifically with a a grant uh, that took care of women living with HIV. It was women, infant, children, and youth. And hearing Jessica speak just it takes me back to those conversations with those women. It takes me back to the women's group that I facilitated and just the beauty in them finding community in themselves, among themselves. Like it was a group of women who ranged from long-term so people who have been living with HIV for many years and young women who might've been newly diagnosed or women who were you know born with HIV. I mean, the whole gambit of, of the whole life cycle, the whole lifespan. And um, it, it really was one, one of the most exciting Parts of that role uh, of my work was just watching them form community. They were their own family because for whatever reason, the things that Jessica mentioned were so hard, like dating was hard. That was really different with living with HIV. Um, Discussing about uh, pregnancy and how to have have a baby and, and if they wanted children and what that would look like and negotiating that conversation with their partners. And, you know, things like breastfeeding not being an option but not wanting to tell mom or grandma that they can't breastfeed because of their hiv status and i mean just lots of things that you don't really think of until you are that person living in the room so hearing jessica speak about that just just took me back to that of of the beauty of that the beauty of those women having a safe place to come where they could talk about all those things um where where they weren't alone And, and just the importance of having um Having a tribe, having a safe place where you can trust and come in and talk through those things, and and just taking care of your mental health, like she said. So, don't mind me; I'm over here teary-eyed uh, listening to Jessica speak yeah because she's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, Chris,
2: can yes. I, I want to chime in because Jessica said a couple of things that are that are very true. uh First of all, she talked about how there's nobody. You know, when you're going places, there's nobody there that looks like you. There's not a person there. Who can relate um, to you? There's maybe a, a gay man, but you know they're they're not your they're not your people. And and when I say they're not your people, they don't necessarily understand what it is that you're going through as a woman. And so being being a woman is hard enough, and then you add being an African American woman to that equation, and then there's there's something else that goes with that. And so, you know, listening to Jessica talk, one of the things that I am most thankful for uh, being a part of, of this walk and this work is that in our building, there are women who are HIV positive and they stand very firmly in 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 that in in you know being a, an African American woman who is HIV positive, um, and telling their story and reaching out and wanting um, to make sure that other women's journey is not um, a hard journey, but that you know you can live a full healthy life, um, you know being HIV positive. But we also have young men. And when I say young men, our my youngest employee is 21 years old and his role every day is to tell his story to somebody, to help somebody along that journey. Whether so when you come into our building and you are newly diagnosed, we have what we call peer advocates and each one of our peers are HIV positive. And I'm telling you this because they tell their story every single day to everybody on every platform. So I'm not violating any HIPAA laws because that is what they are hired to do. But when you hear them tell their stories, it it moves you in a way that when you listen to Jessica, you think they are young and they they are they are helping people walk this journey. And you don't realize how important that is until a 21-year-old tells you, you need to go to counseling. You know, you you have to you you need to go to counseling. I'm here to talk to you, I'm here to hold your hand. I'm I'm not going to leave you on this journey, but there are some things that you have to unpack yourself and let's start with counseling. And Jessica's absolutely right. Because when we start talking about counseling in our community, the first thing that we say is we're not crazy. I'm not going to tell somebody else my business, but then we really are crazy. And we really do need to tell somebody our business so that we can move on and get to live it. Cause we're still being held back for by all of those things. And so you know, I think when Jessica is right in this space, there has to be more people like me, like Lanetta, like Mukum, like those ladies who will hold your hand, Um, whether, you know, we're heterosexual, HIV positive, whatever. You have to be able to walk into places and see us and know that, first of all, we're not there to ridicule you. We're not there to, you know, to to turn our nose up. Actually, what you do when you walk in my building, you're going to get a hug, you know, because, uh, you know, for me, a hug makes everybody, it makes everything better. And it's going to be baby, sweetheart, you know, all of these things. And I tell my I tell my staff, I'm sure I have broken every HR law, but what you know is you are loved and you are appreciated. I, I don't care. I, but those are my terms of endearment and, and touching and feeling is my love language. But, I, but for you to come through that door, it is not easy. It is not easy. And you have to be able, you have to be met by people who understand that and people who are going to love you. And, you know, it helps if the person who, who's loving you and understanding looks like you and can relate uh, to you that, you know, yeah, you're two seconds from getting your electricity turned off and you don't have gas. And but, uh, you know, let's figure out how to get your, your el- electricity bill paid. We have some gas cards. Hey, we got some Walmart gift cards. And and we're just there to love on you and hold you and, and help you. But we have to, we have to also, you know, know how important it is to be in this space. And we're not you know, we we should be more. There should be more of us in this space doing this work so that people like you, Jessica, women like you don't feel like you're left alone, that, that you're out there by yourself. Because, you know, the greatest circle I have in my life is my sister circle. That's that's my greatest circle. And so there should be that in this space as well.
0: Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for that, Kelly. Kelly, again, is the executive director of the AIDS Outreach Center. So, again, doing a great work. And, Kelly, we certainly certainly thankful for all the work that you guys are doing over there. Uh, I want to come back to you real quick, Lynette, as we get ready to land this plane. Again, you uh, may have mentioned it earlier, but for folks who, you know, may not have insurance, things of that nature, I guess we've got folks listening to us from all over. But what are the best options or locations for health care if folks may be underprivileged or just unable, unable to afford the traditional health care?
3: That is a fantastic question, and I would say that if you are, you find yourself needing services and you are not insured, regardless of where you live, if it's um, STI to HIV related, I would start with HIV.gov and typing your zip code. I would start there, typing your zip code, look at the agencies that are near you, that are close to you, that offer the services that you need, and find them. And I mean that regardless of status, whether you're HIV negative or HIV positive, start there. Um, locally, I would say, uh, we have a really great website, uh, that we partner with the Tarrant, uh, Tarrant County HIV Administrative Agency, uh, called, it's www.behiv.org, and it's a really great resource, um, that has all the agencies in Tarrant County that offer, uh, things like HIV and STI testing, um, like Kelly said, her agency has, uh, a trans health clinic, um, and all the other services that people need, uh, there's or options for PrEP um, and things like that. I think it's really important for me to not leave the space in saying, especially for things like PrEP, a lot of folks are like, oh, I'm uninsured. There are so many programs, there are so many grants, there are so many ways to get those things paid for. So if, if you have a desire uh, to access, access those things, do it. Ask the questions. Ask what uh, resources are out there that are available for you to help. Ask for a social worker. Um, call me. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I really just want folks to take away that if they need something, say something, because there's a lot of us that are willing to, to go in the trenches to make sure folks who look like us have access to those things, because we don't want uh, we don't want to increase the number of new infections, we're, we're working really hard to, to de- decrease the number of new infections.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much for the work that you guys are doing over Tarrant County Public Health. And thank you for your partnership and partnering with us tonight uh, in this event. So thank you so much for the uh, partnering with us. Allow us to put on the Chris Howell Foundation 7th Annual Know Your Status event. On this 23rd annual uh, National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day, it's February 7th of every year. And again, it's just another opportunity to increase education and raise awareness regarding HIV. As we get ready to, again, land the plane and round it out, I want to come to each of you. And real quick, just ask you a couple of questions here. First and foremost, we've talked a lot about testing. Is it realistic to expect that folks will get tested when engage before engaging with a new partner? Jessica, we'll start with you.
1: In my opinion, no. Um, you know, it's uh, most times uh, it's not planned, right? You just kind of get in the heat of the moment. And I mean, are we really going to stop to go and wait, let me make sure that what you said is true. Let me make sure that you telling me that you're HIV negative, that you're really HIV negative. Um, no, I don't think it's realistic for, for people to get tested right before they have intercourse, um, which is why it's important, like we said earlier, to carry around, you know, condoms, whether it's female condoms or male condoms. Um, you know, take PrEP if you're engaging in high-risk activity um, and to, you know, have your test ready, right? With all this technology, I can pull up core on my phone and show you my lab results from my HIV labs, um, you know, show you that I'm undetectable, right? Because undetectable equals un. Undetectable means untransmissible, right? So, you know, those things are important. It's important. So to answer your question, no, I don't think people, uh, I don't think it's realistic that people get tested right before they have sex. Um, but I do think there are other opportunities, right, to know your status before you even get there.
0: All right. It was either one of you, uh, Lynetta or Kelly, like to weigh in any more? I think she said, it. she said
3: it all.
0: Yeah, I think she said it right. <laughs> and, you know, again, again, it may have even been unfair to ask that question, but I asked that question knowing that I would likely get that answer or hope that I would like to get that answer. And you certainly did. Uh, again, it, we can't stress it enough. The female condom, do your due diligence, find out more about the female condom. It gives you an opportunity to empower yourself, particularly if you have a partner who uh, does not like to use condoms, it gives you an opportunity to empower and protect yourself. Uh, or like Jessica said, uh, you know, carry around the male condom for yourself uh, to ensure that you protect yourself if you're going to be, if there's even a slight possibility of engaging. I know we use this term um, high risk behavior, but if you're engaging in sex with someone who you do not really know, then that could be considered high risk. Uh, Would you all agree? Absolutely. My thought is that
3: you know, you might think you're in a monogamous relationship, but sometimes you're not like just because I'm monogamous doesn't mean that my partner's being monogamous. So it's just always best to protect yourself.
0: Absolutely. So as we close it, I guess the question, the final question I would have for each of you is how do we shift the narrative around HIV to provide more knowledge to black women in particular? As we celebrate this 23rd annual National Black HIV AIDS Day.
3: I'll say how we shift the narrative is just education things like this you know Chris thank you so much for allowing us the opportunity to have such a rich conversation about HIV and specifically among black women Um, so I would say start where you are have the conversation uh, at church like Kelly said have it with your children Um, have it among your circle of friends normalize testing Uh, and then from a community standpoint I'd say get involved there's organizations and Groups like the Texas Black Women's Health Initiative, which is a really great group of folks who uh, typically meet over at AOC every month, um, led by an amazing advocate here in our community. And the focus really is on improving the lives of black women living with HIV and, and helping those who are HIV negative stay negative. So just getting involved where you can, educating yourself, and not just gatekeeping that knowledge, but sharing it with everyone among your circle.
0: All right, good deal. Kelly or Jessica, anything from either of you, how we shift the narrative?
2: No, I think Lynetta did a great job of, of telling us how we shift the
0: narrative. All right. Well, thank you all so much again. And thank you for tuning in today. Uh, again, that you've been part of the Chris Howell Foundation's uh, seventh annual Know Your Status uh, event uh, in partnership with Tarrant County Public Health. So thank you to our friends over at Tarrant County Public Health for their partnership. My guest that have joined me today is Jessica Glaspie. She's an HIV uh, advocate and author. So be sure to look her up again, get her book as well. Kelly Allen Gray, Executive Director of AIDS Outreach. Again, that's in Tarrant County, but you can reach out to Kelly and get information if you're from any part of the country, uh, she'll be sure to try and help you as well. Again, also Lynetta Wilson is the Ending HIV Epidemic Coordinator at Tarrant County Public Health. So again, thank you so much for watching. And if you caught it in the middle, then be sure to go back and uh, catch it on YouTube to catch it from the beginning all the way to the end. Until then, take care of yourself.